Welcome to episode 54 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today we are talking about The Defiant Ones from 1958. Uh, it received nine nominations at the 31st Academy Awards. Uh, for me, uh, and I think for you, a bit underwhelming. Yeah, um, I've heard, you know, for a while, this is one of the definitive films to kind of represent race relations in America in the first half of the 20th century. And while it does go there, uh, I feel like it kind of shifts focus quite a bit and doesn't really have a, much of a point. Like, there isn't really a goal here. Uh, it's kind of just watching these two convicts kind of shuffle around to, you know, set, set location to set location. And yeah, I, I, from knowing, you know, being familiar with Stanley Kramer's work, I kind of expected a bit more from this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, this is a film neither of us had seen, right? Obviously. And we've, we've kind of played with the idea of rewatching stuff the past few episodes, uh, you know, like Anatomy of a Murder and uh, African Queen. Those, those are movies that we already had, uh, you know, an opinion on. Uh, but this one, is, is the one we're going in, going in blind. And like you said, I had the exact same kind of expectations because of what people said about it being kind of this, you know, fifties movie that obviously, you know, got Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis and they're just kind of just together the whole time. And that can either work really well, like a, a movie where it revolves around a relationship, a friendship, or it can just get kind of dull and boring. Uh, this reminded me a lot of Green Book, like so much. I was like, ah, this is okay. And the performances are pretty awesome, but I'm not really like, what, what, there's not a whole lot to chew on here. And, and I, I feel like a lot of Oscar movies that I watch give me that, that energy after I watch them where I'm just kind of like, okay. Uh, that's how I felt about a, a movie we did uh, not that long ago, uh, Places in the Heart, 1984. I was like, that was good. The performances are unbelievable. You know, uh, everybody's everybody's just go, getting after it. But there's just at, at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to want to rewatch it. And that's how I feel about the client ones here. I think a big part of it is really just white filmmakers tackling race always feels kind of half done. You know, like they never want to take a plunge and actually have something to say. Instead, they just kind of glance over it and then, you know, kind of run around like they did you know claiming they did something uh yeah it's very it's very much like uh we can't leave our white audience feeling guilty so we got to give them something at the end of the day so when the credits start rolling they're like okay i still feel okay yeah <laughs> and, it, and that, that's bull that's 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 bullshit so, uh I, i'm not saying for any movie that does this you know like, I, I, you know, you pointed out something great that it's these kind of established white directors who are like, oh, I need this to be a part of my filmography. Here's my go at it. And yeah, it, it rarely does it really work, uh, you know, well. This movie's, again, I don't think it's bad, but it, it left, left something to be desired. What always takes me back to that, uh, to Peter Farrelly's uh, Golden mm. Globes acceptance speech where he's like, racism is bad. And we need to stop yeah. it. Like yeah. it's some revelation. Like he's doing anything. Like he's adding anything to the ongoing conversation. And I feel yeah. like white yeah. filmmakers do this shit all the time where they're just like, I need to make a racial movie that's positive so I can't, you know, one day be perceived as a racist. It feels like that. Like it's almost them, you know, it's like 
you're playing tag and you've got one hand on base at all times. Like just, mm. you know, either don't or fucking try. <laughs> yeah. Have some, have some, have some balls, you know, to, to kind of go out there and say something. Um, I do want to kind of get your general thoughts. You know, we've been in the fifties now for this, our fourth straight week. Yeah. How are you feeling about the decade in general? Just kind of through the Oscar lens. I enjoy it uh, for the most part. I do think that the films we've chosen at least have been pretty reflective of the creativity coming out of Hollywood in the fifties. There's a whole bunch we could have done that would have just been formulaic and pretty much boring. I think we were uh, pretty good with our selection here. Uh, I would like to go back at some point, obviously. I think there's a lot, you know, we still have to tackle here. Um, Oh yeah. But it's, it's difficult because I'm kind of torn on the fifties because there's some like amazing movies that come out of this decade, but so many of them are just encumbered by this ongoing, you know, ball and chain called the Hayes code and not just yeah. that, but also, you know, the um, American society in the fifties was very divided, very, you know, oriented towards, you know, white society Films like the Defiant Ones were not uh, plentiful. You didn't. There weren't a lot of race movies made in the fifties. Um, it just feels like the fifties are a stepping stone to what film needed to become. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think the decade is filled with people knocking on the door. Yeah, you know. Yeah. People really okay. What like what what can we do here? I mean, last week, you know, Rear Window is the perfect example. It's like, man, this guy is really trying to go go around every single little scene that we know that is filmmaking, you know, and yeah. and the rules that were in place at the time. I yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm a little the '50s as a whole. I'm still there's still a lot I need to, I need to learn. Still so much I need to see because I'm. You know, I'm, I'm right now I'm kind of neutral on it. There is so much fluff and yeah. so much just kind of said the formulaic, the just just churning them out to churn them out. But man, some of my, you know, there's a handful of, you know, my top 100 personal favorite films that are from the 50s, you know, uh, and, and Rear Window is one of them. You know, uh, Anatomy of Murder is one of them. You know, On the Waterfront is one of them. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk about. La Strada, the Ten Commandments. You know, we've we've done a lot of '50s movies now, but there's still so so much more to see, look at, and learn. Uh, you know, that's when Stanley Kubrick got introduced to the to the game of filmmaking was the '50s, right? Yeah. So there's yeah, there's so much to talk about, but also so much boring shit to get through. <laughs> it's a it's it's a tough one. It's kind of like looking down a long long tunnel with a, maybe a few lights here and there. Well, our prep for, you know, next week's Best Picture Showdown has been really trudging through some crap, some stuff that just does not work anymore, some serious fluff. And it reminds you just how valuable these gems are because they are rare. I mean, just in this little bunch here we've done so far, we've covered Otto Preminger, John Huston, Alfred Hitchcock, and now Stanley Kramer, some of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And I, I'm glad we got to kind of view the 50s through the lenses of these filmmakers. And next week's no, you know, no exception. 
So yeah. it's, yeah. it's a, it's, it's been valuable, I think, to, you know, our growth as film fans and our growth as critics. Uh, I love this, like this idea to stay here has been a very good idea. And I'm glad we've, we've done this. Oh, we're going to continue to do it, man. I can't wait. Uh, you know, of course, yeah, like you said, next week is a best picture showdown. We'll tell you guys about what year we're going to be doing later on in the episode. And then, yeah. And then after that, we're going to do another decade and stay in that for five episodes. Uh, I feel like it is uh, for now for, for, I want to do it for a while. You know, I want to, I want to try to cover each decade this way. Yeah. I really do. I, I think it's good to be patient, to stay somewhere and take your time with it. Uh, I, I've, I've felt a sincere reward from the way, the way we've kind of done this. I, I feel genuine knowledge kind of going into me and uh, finding a consistency. And yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it, man. It's, it's been awesome. Uh, you, you brought up those, those filmmakers, Stanley Kramer. He's, he's got to be the first guy we talk about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about quite a few individuals here that were uh, maybe nominated for this movie or uh, for the Defiant Ones or have other nominations. For Stanley Kramer, he's, he's got, a, got a handful. Uh, uh, some movies that we've definitely brought up before. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's get started with him. Uh, he was nominated for Best Picture because he's, he's a producer as well. Of course, Stanley Kramer kind of does everything. Uh, best picture, High Noon, 1952. Uh, that's another movie we got to do, and we both we both rewatched that. And just kind of, it just it just heightened our love for it, our passion for it. Incredible movie. Uh, he's nominated for best picture, The Kane Mutiny, also producer on that. Uh, that movie's badass. Uh, 1954 has a has a couple to offer there for sure. <laughs> Pretty cool year. Uh, it, he's nominated for Best Director, The Defiant Ones, 1958. Also nominated for Best Picture, Defiant Ones, 1958. Uh, Best Director, Judgment at Nuremberg, 1961. We've talked about this movie before. It, it's really, I think the only time, well, I'll have, to, I'll have to think about that for a minute, but off the top of my head, I think it's the only time since I've known you that you've watched a movie at home and just given it a 10. <laughs> I think you're right. right yeah. You don't I, do you don't really do that. I don't. Tens for me are very reserved for personal favorites. You know, Marvel stuff tends to get to me just like stuff that really wows me and blows me away. And it's incredibly rare that I'll give a film a 10 for the first time out, but I couldn't ignore judgment in Nuremberg. That film stirred me so much. It's been like two years and I still haven't stopped thinking about it. It's I went out and bought it. It's a beautiful film. It's a harsh film. It's an unforgiving film, and it needs to be. And it was my introduction to Stanley Kramer as a filmmaker. And since then, I've just been like, eating his work up. It's yeah. unreal. So I've, I've been, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm counting down the day when we get to do Judgment at Nuremberg on this show. I can't wait. For sure. I think the 1961 is one of the hardest years for, to choose between that and The Hustler. I just, I love The Hustler so much. But Judgment at Nuremberg is a, like you said, it's arguably Stanley Kramer's masterpiece. It's, it's amazing that, you know, you can, a filmmaker can do this. And then, you know, three years before it's defiant one. So of course, if like you and I watched Judgment at Nuremberg first and we were blown away by it, 
our expectations are going to be in a certain place about the man's work. And uh, yeah, just going to be tough to live up to that from here on out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, he, he got, he, he got, got an honorary award in 1962 uh that's you know happens a lot because he didn't actually win anything just a bunch of nominations so it's like they felt bad uh frustrating uh nominated for best picture 1965 ship of fools he's a producer on that as well uh and then his last two nominations are he was a producer on guess who's coming to dinner and he also directed that film that's one we talked about when we did in the heat of the night uh i you know obviously Sidney poitier uh has now come up on this show because of those two films and now the defiant ones. So uh, kind of, kind of cool little, you know, little circle there of stuff just happening on Oscar Sunday. What I feel that, you know, having watched the defiant ones most recently of Kramer's work, I feel like what he didn't do with race in the defiant ones, he brought up and guess who's coming to dinner and kind of in my, in my vision kind of redeemed himself because I think that film is brilliant. Uh, God, just, and look, we, we, this film, like this list of uh, nominations here, doesn't even include *Inherit the Wind*. Oh, which is exactly, exactly. fantastic. So it's just, yeah, he—he's a guy I had never heard of prior to doing this show, and now I can't stop going into his work. He's so, so talented. Yeah, extremely, and the producer stuff is very real. I mean, it's he has forty-one credits producing and just constantly constantly wanted to help make movies be the guy you know in the director's chair like always and that we love those kind of guys who are just kind of dedicated to working and trying their hardest to, to make good stuff which is again why we're a little disappointed with uh the defiant ones because you just you know when you hear about yeah inherit the William, judgment nuremberg on the beach these these films guess who's coming to dinner yeah, you have yeah, you have expectations. I really want to see it's a mad, mad, mad world. Uh, haven't haven't been able to get that get to that one, but I would love to see that. I am definitely going to have to check out Ship of Fools at some point. It's the only one of his nominated oh. films I haven't watched. Yeah, same. I I think what really you know what bummed me out the most about the Defiant ones is having kind of you know seen his in my opinion triple threat of Inherit the Wind, Judgment at Nuremberg, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I recognized Kramer as a director who was never afraid to shy away from big issues, you know, to point out things about our society that we should be ashamed of. And I was expecting that level of, you know, like I was expecting that kind of thing for the defiant ones. And he just didn't go there. And I don't know if that was, he wasn't ready as a filmmaker or if he had, you know, studios breathing down his neck to, you know, deliver a, a white ending, so to speak. I just don't know if yeah. I can't, I don't know if I can blame Kramer for this, but I know somebody held that film back. Somebody somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it feels like it is a little bit incomplete, right? Yeah. You, you feel you get, you get that exact sense that someone kind of robbed a bit of the creativity. Uh, yeah. I thought, I thought that as the movie ended, I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I kind of thought the ending was, was interesting, but just the film as a whole didn't in, impact me like that. I, but I, I did think the ending was interesting, an interesting choice that you rarely see from, from that era of movies, you know, where it's kind of like almost kind of an ambiguous ending. Uh, and that, that's, that's nice to see every once in a while, but the rest of the film does not follow suit. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you brought up inherent the wind, and, and I that not being a part of Stanley Kramer's, you know, run, it is a part of the run for uh, Nedrick Young and Harold Jacob Smith, the the two gentlemen who wrote the Defiant Ones. They also wrote that movie. So clearly, Stanley Kramer has his people, right? So <laughs> that's that's usually how it is. I find it very interesting that uh, Nedrick Young was blacklisted. Yeah, uh, he w- during the was. Hollywood blacklist, he, uh, he wrote under the name Nathan E. Douglas. Mm-hmm. I have to assume Kramer knew that, which is weird because he named names to the black, like to the to the Huac. He named he got a lot of people's careers destroyed back when the blacklist was happening. So it's weird that he would do that and then hire someone who had been like named. I think you know Kramer was a complex man, clearly. Yeah, no kidding. And I, I would love to see uh, someone do kind of a tell-all type documentary or movie or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's those two guys. They they won the Oscar for The Defiant once. And then they were nominated for Inherent the Wind. So that's that's a nice little resume back to back and kind of a cool partnership uh, for them, them to be able to write those two movies. The Defiant ones, does, I mean, it, it won best screenplay yeah and and I, believe, and I believe cinematography so and then it has uh, seven other nominations is is that what sticks out to you the the cinematography and the screenplay not really honestly um cinematography yeah. seems pretty basic i don't see a lot of you know a lot of things happening here and the screenplay is pretty weak uh i mean the whole bit with you know the, like the, the lady who never gets named, she's just Billy's mother, is so strange and out of the blue, but takes up a significant chunk of the last act of the film. Uh, I don't know. I feel like exploring more with, you know, Big Sam and his racist town. I want like, maybe, you know, go a little bit more into that. It felt like they were setting up, like they were constantly setting things up, but yeah. no follow through. Yeah, and... And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't out of the ordinary, like in a creative way. It was just, what, what, yeah, what is this? This isn't, this isn't, no, this isn't even like weird, cool, or entertaining. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just kind of out of place. Uh, I think there's a few moments. Uh, Sam, Sam Levitt, cinematography. I mean, he, that guy's, that guy's incredible. He, I think there's a few things that are kind of cool when they're, when they're on the run, really on the run, and mm-hmm. in the water specifically there's some cool stuff happening that was probably really hard to do in the 50s but i'm with you for the most part from point a to point b it's pretty basic right it's pretty basic the way the film moves and is shot i, I don't know i definitely didn't walk away thinking oh man i i did walk away thinking jesus christ sydney poitier brings the noise no matter what you know yeah. he 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 has he has it <laughs> A hundred percent. He's just, he's fucking fantastic. I think the screenplay win most likely came from the conversations between Poitier and Curtis. And because those are really the heart of the film, their constant back and forth, kind of understanding each other. That's, that's why this one screenplay and those, those bits are great. Uh, they both excel in those scenes. I was really surprised that Tony Curtis could bring the pain like this. I mean, I'd, I'd seen him in some like it hot. He's a good actor, but I didn't know he could go like, like he could do this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, me neither. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. And that Tony Curtis, uh, Theodore Bickle, and Carol Williams, they all, this is their only nomination, is this movie. They, that, that's, that's kind of, that's a cool sign for your film, right? If it, if it got a nomination for all these people and, and no, no other movie did that for them. That's, that's fascinating. But Sidney Poitier, um, real, real, real important guy, right? Uh, yeah. uh, just a, obviously we live in a, you know, a brutally racist country and he, 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 he's just the first guy who broke through first, first black guy to just break through yeah. and go ahead and be, I'm going to be the lead in these movies. Cause I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of that good. And it makes you wonder how much talent is just, just totally missed out on. Right. Because people are not willing to hire black people. Uh, you have just cast crew, cast and crews, all white people, a lot of them, a lot of older males. And it's just, this industry does not reflect how real life looks, you know, there's yeah. no diversity. There's no, there's no, there's no variety at all. There's nothing for, there's nothing for certain groups of people to watch, to be inspired by, to be, to see themselves. Right. Yeah. Now, now in 2021, we're in a, we're in a different spot where we're aware of this, you know, this is something we talk about on the internet. This is something we you know, Oscars so white, boycott the Oscars, you know, this is, this is something that's in the stream of consciousness every day now. And still, man, still, you look at, you, you look at the statistics and it is just so fucking sad how hard it is for women to win in categories and for, for black people to win in categories. It's, it's really, really frustrating. So when you when you do get a chance to watch a guy like Sidney Poitier, it is special. It really is special. It's uh, something to behold. He he's awesome, and of course he gets he got he got his Oscar win for Lilies of the Field, nineteen sixty three. Um, it, you know he became the first African American to win the Best Actor Oscar. Like, and not a lot of black guys have won since then. So you know. It's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty frustrating uh, to to look at that part of it because it doesn't reflect real life, you know. When you have no diversity and no, um, n- yeah, no, no variety, no, that's just doesn't reflect real life. I think it's unbelievable that while Sidney Poitier became the first African American to win Best Actor, it didn't happen again until Denzel Washington for Training Day yes. in two thousand one. Thirty-five I mean, years later. Yeah, Jesus come Christ. on. <laughs> exactly. And and then and then uh if I'm not mistaken, it uh and then there was a 20-year gap for best actor. No, there was um Jamie Foxx and Ray. Oh, there you go. And and, and Force Whitaker. Force Whitaker, yeah. And for and, and then and then after that it was a big gap. Another big gap. Has it has it happened again since? Actually, no, it hasn't. I'm, I'm just now. I'm thinking Daniel Kaluuya, but he got supporting. So no, yeah. uh, Mahershala Ali got supporting. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's fucking annoying. It's just sad that we. It's sad that we even have to have this, this conversation. Four, <laughs> four. Yeah, no, I don't even want to start talking about your best best screenplay because those are even worse. You know those, and and, and again, it's not. It, 
women as well for us to be like oh look chloe Zhao, like the second one that's fucking crazy that we're even doing that they're even having that conversation that's just her and Catherine bigelow yeah you know that's that's the shit that people that's why people are like fuck the oscars and i get it well it's not just the lack of inclusion but it's also the constant padding on the back of rewarding these racial themed movies and then acting like they're doing something so powerful you know in the spotlight you know they're shining you know they're giving best picture to films like crash and green book but behind the scenes four <laughs> so they don't yeah they either don't care or they're completely uh oblivious and i think it's somewhere in the middle honestly yeah yeah oh geez yeah tr- truly truly frustrating and uh again Poitier is is a guy who broke like broke through and definitely inspired a lot of people yeah and, and that that's huge. And then has, and then ha, uh, even has the, even in this crazy, you know, this conversation we're having, even he is going to get brought up on Oscar Sunday. Cause it, I, I really believe he was that talented. I, I think it's crazy that he wasn't up for in the heat of the night. That is just beyond me. Makes no goddamn sense. He's fucking amazing. That movie. Uh, so, so is Rod Steiger, but they're both great. And I, yeah, I can't believe that one. He, he's up for the defiant ones. Uh, and he got an honorary award in 2002. But yeah, just two nom- two real nominations in his whole career, and that's just not right. I think, and this is sad, but I think that in order to break through in this environment, Poitiers had to be amazing. He had to bring it every time. He had to be the most incredible actor possible, and he could. Like the guy was so great at creating characters. I his voice in the Defiant Ones is unlike any any other character he ever played. I believed him. The guy was an incredible actor. He's still alive too, which is remarkable to me. Uh, so many yeah. from this generation are gone, uh, but he's still here, and he's still, you know, just incredibly re- well respected. He's one of the most revered actors of all time, and he deserves all the praise. His performances, what I've seen, has all been just sensational. Yeah, same, same here. Uh, there's. I believe right now, I don't, I don't know what it is. What There's a collection, some of his performances on Criterion, and it, it just kind of always, he's one of those guys, right? I'm just kind of intrigued by the, the lore around him. I'm in, fascinated by the talent. I'm fascinated by just what he, like, what he means to movie history. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he, he's awesome, man. And I, I'm, I'm glad we've brought up, you know, quite a few of his movies through this show uh and that's that's not really going to stop you know anytime we get a chance to talk about yeah a guy who means so so much to that Hayes code era a guy who is like no fuck you you know i'm i i want i want to do this thing you know i want to act and i'm good at it and like you said playing in this character the defiant ones showed me he's yeah he's just got tremendous range he just think yeah okay the guy really could kind of do anything (laughs) and that's that's always awesome Oh, absolutely. Um, I would love a, a film about his, about his life. I'm not sure that'll happen at some point. I would love, I would love to learn about his, you know, I'm sure there were struggles in the beginning, you know, a black man wanting, you know, being the lead in Hollywood yeah. pictures in the fifties. Uh, 
I really wanted to watch Lilies of the Field before we did this episode, but you know, I just did not have time. Uh, but you know, there's always future episodes. Yeah, it'll come up at some point for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about that. It'll be be a lot of fun to do his proper win one day uh, on the show and just get to talk about that one. Um, yeah, uh, again, Tony Curtis, Carol Williams, and Theodore Bickle. This is defined ones as the only nomination they have. But uh, we talked about Kramer. We talked about the two writers. Let's talk about. Uh, I, got, I got three more people. Let's talk about Sam Levitt, the cinematographer. We talked about him just a few weeks ago because he was nominated for Best Cinematography Anatomy of a Murder. Uh, and he won for the Defiant Ones, and then he was also nominated uh, for Exodus. So he, he was at the Oscars three years in a row, 1959, 1960, 1961, all for cinematography. And uh, I haven't seen Exodus, but I'll definitely say I enjoy what's going on more in Anatomy of a Murder. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but, you know. Yeah, his... His uh, filmography, very intriguing. He also did uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, mm-hmm. Cape Fear. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cool. Uh, 54 is a star is born. I didn't know he did that. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't know that either. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's cool that, you know, these guys, they work so hard and they work so frequently. Um it's nice to kind of get to shine a spotlight on some of their best work. Oh, yeah, 100%, especially when it gets to kind of cross over to episodes we just did because we have that. It's just kind of in the back of my mind. Well, on Anatomy of Murder is always in the back of my mind. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always just kind of right here. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I was intrigued by this name. And once I kind of looked at his uh, resume, I was kind of like, oh, what? I think I think I like this guy a lot, uh, or I'm, I, I do like this guy a lot, and I'm going to continue to look out for what he's doing. He's a production designer, art art works, art direction stuff like that. Uh, his name's Rudolf Stinner. Uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. He was nominated for uh, best art direction. He was also nominated for a thousand and one nights, and nominated for the talk of the town. So that's 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 twenty years that he's got three nominations, but then you look at oh he's the production designer for fucking high noon. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about that one, but it is incredible. And the production design of that is like grade a it's like as perfect as it can get in a movie where it's like not too simple, but it's minimalistic in this way where it just shows you exactly what you need to know to kind of feel the environment and, and what more could you want, you know? And he, he brought, he did the exact thing with inherit the wind. And Judgment in Nuremberg crafts, you know, a perfect courtroom scenario, shows you just as much as you need to know about the town outside the courtroom, but you know where everything's going to be centered. It's, Mm. yeah, the guy knew how to craft a story with design. Yeah, and that's, and the Defiant Ones, uh, there were some times where I, 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 when I'm watching movies, sometimes I just smile at, uh, where where we are and that happened a couple times but not enough for me to be you know writing home about it uh we have covered some movies where i i think i haven't talked about that part of it enough a film like we did boogie nights and like chinatown like these movies just look so fucking cool because they 
put the right couch there you know like that 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 shit fucking that shit fucking matters you know and a lot a lot of movies that i think we've talked about i've kind of maybe skipped skimmed over that when i know in my mind that's a huge part of why i like the movie um what would wes anderson be without the set design production design art direction where what that is his style that is his filmmaking is you know things are kind of symmetrical but a little off and lots of box sets and that's that is his kind of, kind of his game. That's like his the Wes Anderson genre is my my movies look a certain way because of how they're set up. Yeah, and that that that, that shit's huge. Totally, we've often talked about how the design of a film is really kind of your first. It's your handshake to a movie. You know, that's you visually right. check this yeah. place out, and you're like, I like this or I don't like this. It's your first impression. Yes, yeah, for sure. Another another thing that can be kind of a first impression, especially with these these fifties movies, because they always start with like a big, you know, a big piece of score, bang bang, you know, check it out. That's why I love how the Incredibles does that, how Pixar does that with their the Incredibles movies, how they start out bang bang. It's really funny. But uh, Ernest Gold, the composer for for the Defiant Ones, he's a guy we 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 got to talk about. Uh, his, his resume is pretty cool. Worked on a lot of movies with Stanley Kramer. A lot of movies. Uh, it seems like Stanley just... He's the people he eats dinner with and hangs out with are the people he makes movies with. Fuck yeah. Um, sorry, I was checking out On the Beach. That sounds incredibly yeah. intriguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we have to see that movie. You know, yeah, 1959, Ben-Hur just totally just destroys that year. Yeah. And so movies get lost that way. I think on the beach is one that people have kind of held on to. That's actually no, still, still good. And still kind of has lasted uh, as an entertaining piece of work. Yeah. We, we have to, <laughs> we have to see that one. I also from 1958, uh, uh, separate tables. I, I really want to see that movie. That's the one with Burt Lancaster. Uh, yeah, there's th- this, is the name of the game though, man, we have to choose. And sometimes you, 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 uh, wish maybe you choose, chose something different. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so this time. I think it was, I'm glad we we finally watched this. I feel like it is it has already led to a lot of interesting talking points. So I think yeah, I, like so far I think the biggest mistake we've made on this show has probably been faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got to talk about John Cassavetti at some point. Got to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome, man. You, you're you're gonna like I, you like John Cassavetes more as an actor, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. He's a he's a wonderful wonderful performer. Uh, but yeah. Ernest Ernest Gold, composer here, nominated for On the Beach. He won for Exodus. Uh, nominated for It's a Mad 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 World, uh, best song and best score. Uh, and then he was nominated for The Secret of Santa Vittoria, uh, and that was best score as well. So yeah, I mean good stuff and again a kind of a kramer guy so keep you always kind of always going to be there when you're talking about the 50s 60s that kind of stuff he's going to pop up yes indeed got hell of a resume this is god God yeah Yeah. his outside of oscar stuff is crazy i mean just look at 1950 alone one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven films in 1950 alone (laughs) jesus beautiful 102 music credits. Good God. 
That's from 1946 to, well, these can't be because he passed away 19, 1980. It looks like the last one, 1988. Good Lord. Yeah. I think those two are just samples at the end of his, in the 2018 there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he passed away in 99. Yeah. 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 Ah, used cars. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw that too. Oh man. I love it. Yeah, I, I love that was our that was our last individual, but I, this is this is so much fun every week to kind of go through these people and learn stuff, connect things. Because obviously Rudolph, Ernest, Sam Levitt, Nedrick Young, Harold Jacob Smith, and Stanley Kramer, like yeah, like hung out and barbecued together and made movies. There's just they, they were working together all the time. That's that's awesome to kind of go to the, go to the same you know go to the same guys for different sets and stuff and working on different films. What a life. <laughs> That's exactly what Paul Tom Sampson does today. <laughs> yeah, uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, definitely likes to mess with some of the same people, you know, and like, hey, I, I, I like you. I, I think you understand what I'm doing here. Uh, David Fincher definitely has worked with some of the same people. Spike Lee, fucking A. I mean, you know, definitely. I, I love that about directors having their kind of their, their flavors that they want to stick with. It's really cool. Oh yeah. That's why we keep coming back to them. hundred percent. And, uh, going to 1958, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm not too well-versed, uh, in this year, as far as the Oscars go, uh, got a lot, got a lot of work to do. The, the one, I, the one I want to see is separate tables, but I haven't even seen Gigi, the best picture winner. Uh, yeah, this is one I'm just kind of, just lacking that that base knowledge uh and there's there's nine nominations here i want to go through them at the 31st academy awards but uh yeah now i i don't know where you're at but i just don't have a whole lot to say looking at 1958 it feels like a test that i didn't study for because i yeah i've got nothing i've seen vertigo and i've seen yeah. giant ones like that is that's all i got I've seen like a little bit of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof when I was younger, but that's all I got. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Vertigo is obviously awesome, and uh, from my perspective, would would be a Best Picture nominee, but it's not there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This is like you said, kind of a test you're not ready for. <laughs> well, might as well dig through the awards that the Defiant ones got. Just kind of point them out. Uh, yeah. Not going to have a lot of competition to argue here because we have no, we got nothing to say here. Uh, but you know, let's start with film editing. Beautiful. Best film editing. We have Anti Mame, Cowboy, The Defiant Ones, I Want to Live, and the winner, GG. Uh, okay. <laughs> now this movie, uh, Cowboy, it has Jack Lemon, so I'm already kind of sold. Uh, Glenn Ford, Jack Lemon. And yeah, I, yeah, anything that he's in, I will kind of watch. But the other ones don't really scream out my name. <laughs> I Want to Live sounds intriguing, especially for 1958. It's a biopic of a prostitute and a criminal who's convicted of murder and faces the death penalty, directed by Robert Wise. Oh, yeah, Robert Wise and uh, stars Theodore Bickle, who's in The Defiant Ones. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I would watch that. That poster is kind of cool. 
Uh, best director. Quick jump there. Um, we've yeah. got <laughs> Richard Brooks for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Stanley Kramer for The Defiant Ones, Robert Wise for I Want to Live, Mark Robson for The Inn of the Sixth Happiness, and the winner, Vincente Manelli for Gigi. Uh, yeah, Gigi's one we're going to have to, you know, it's a winner, so we'll do it eventually. I do have it. I found it. <laughs> um, I kind of see Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That's early Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah, I know. I yeah, I I've, I've owned it for so long. I just haven't put on sat through it. Uh, Man- Manelli is someone who was brought up recently. I feel like I'm, I'm, American Paris won best picture as well. Probably Meet Me in St. Louis is what would have brought it, brought him up because you and I have both seen that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched that for. Uh, what did we watch that for? That I was for remember. the uh, the Judy Garland. Uh, Film guys on oh, Weird Shit Wednesday. Back yeah. Way back. Jesus. <laughs> I feel like we bought we brought him up more recently than that. There's something. Oh, this is gonna bug this is gonna bug me. <laughs> um, uh, an American when we did African Queen. Boom. There you go. Yeah, had to be that. 1951. Yeah. Because that was the yeah. I own that too, and I haven't seen it yet. So <laughs> yeah. I bought that as well. I'm I'm kind of saving. I'm stockpiling like pre 1970s movies just for when they come up on this show, just so I have them ready. Like just have today, those. I picked up the Country Girl, The Lost Weekend, and A Man for All Seasons, just because I know yeah. eventually I'm going to need them. Eventually, yeah, for sure. And it's always good to have that. Uh, if we do that year, you know, it's good to have some extra extra knowledge, yeah. extra info. Exactly. Best Supporting Actress. We have Peggy Cass for Auntie Mame, Martha Heyer for Some Came Running, Maureen Stapleton for Lonely Hearts, Kara Williams for The Defiant Ones, and the winner, Wendy Hiller, for Separate Tables. Kara uh, Williams in The Defiant Ones is such a strange character. Uh, just immediately falling in love with this convict who like, held her at gunpoint, demanded food. Uh, immediately like, oh, he's hot. Not the best uh, depiction of a woman in film. Um, but, you know. No. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely, I believe Wendy Hiller, you know, and I believe Separate Tables. I've heard great things about it. And I, I, I don't see uh, Carolyn's being someone who could compete in really any year, you know? The, the, like, it's not, it's not a top five supporting role out of any year that I know of, but. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we, Maureen Stapleton won her Oscar for Reds. We've covered that a few weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a month ago. I don't, my concept of time has changed greatly because of these podcasts. Uh, yeah, that would, that would have been Chariots of Fire. Yeah. 1981 Reds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when we did, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Atlantic City and On Golden Pond. That's a pretty cool year. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, speaking of, Raiders recently celebrated its 40th anniversary. So, Yes, Wait. it did. Yeah. Uh, Martha Heyer and Peggy Cass. I don't know those names, regrettably. Um, uh, Peggy Cass. I've seen that before, I swear to God. Um, let's see if she was... 
she's nominated for Academy Award, Golden Globe. I don't know. I feel like I've seen her name before. But uh, the the best actress category. Now you, you we talked. We just saw I Want to Live. Sus- Suzanne Hayward. Uh, Susan Hayward. Sorry, won the Oscar for that movie. So yeah, we got to see that, dude. Yeah, that that movie's yeah. It's literally screaming at me. The title has an exclamation yeah, yeah. mark. <laughs> and, and then, dude, Shirley, Mc, Shirley MacLaine is awesome. Uh, some came running. I, I'm in if she's in it. Deborah Kerr, somebody we're going to be talking about next week. Hint, hint. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're separate tables, man. Ah, god damn it, I need to see that. <laughs> I feel like you've been talking about that for quite a while. Separate tables. It's like haunting cool. you. I almost chose it for this episode, you know, for the, I was like, I want to do something from 1958. I almost chose it, but went with the defined ones. Cause I, I did think it would create uh, just interesting conversations. Well, you weren't wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> best supporting actor. Uh, we have Theodore Bickle for the defiant ones. Lee J Cobb for the brothers Karamazov, Arthur Kennedy for some came running gig young for teacher's pet. And the winner, Burl Ives for The Big Country. Uh, Those are some loaded names. I recognize most of these guys. (laughs) Uh, Lee J. Cobb, I fucking love. Uh, Oh, dude. 12 Angry Men. Yeah, just one of my favorite performances of all time. He's guilty. You know he's guilty. Oh, great. (laughs) On the water. He's so fucking frightening and on the waterfront. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, that, that... that dude brought brought the pain. Yeah, Twelve Angry Men. That was another '50s movie we did a while back. That yeah, we 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 pick we pick some cool ones from this <laughs> from this era. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna celebrate, you know, a decade's worth of film, you, you got to go with the greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and then and then uh, Best Picture Showdown provides that you you're gonna get four other movies out of it, so that's always good. I. I did not enjoy Theodore Bickle's performance in the Defiant Ones. I don't know why he's here. Uh, it is so one note. Sense, yeah, yeah. Ugh. I would have at least, if I was going to do supporting actor, I would have maybe gone with the, you know. Well, no one really like there isn't a supporting actor in this movie who kind of deserves a nomination. No. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. Um, big country. Interesting. William Wyler, Gregory Peck, Carl, Charlton Heston. Holy shit. That's something we should probably put on the list. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need to see this. Oh, boy. Um, all right. Best actor. This is a all five of these men are phenomenal performers. Uh, we've got Tony Curtis for The Defiant Ones, Paul Newman for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Sidney Poitier for The Defiant Ones. Spencer Tracy for The Old Man in the Sea, and the winner, David Niven, for Separate Tables. Damn. Um, <laughs> wow. David Niven, a guy I haven't, I recently uh, really enjoyed after I uh, watched The Bishop's Wife uh, this past Christmas. So definitely a guy I want to check out, and there's your Separate Tables again. <laughs> yep. Yep. There, there, there's another uh, win for Separate Tables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. David Niven, talk about a, a, a strong mustache. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. That Look thing at this guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, he, it, that's an absolute must. And like you said, these guys are, uh, well, they're all multiple Oscar-nominated people except for Tony Curtis. You know, I mean, Spencer Tracy is a 
fucking legend. <laughs> Paul Newman. Paul Newman's one of the most famous, you know, good-looking actors to ever live. Uh, like people don't possess that anymore, you know. Like Harrison Ford had it, but I don't know who has it now. Uh, it's just very hard to come by. Uh, maybe, maybe Leo. I don't know. I think Leo did have it. I think he's starting to, you know, slob yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe like 15 years ago, like departed, like around then was when he was kind of like, man, this guy's just kind of the king. Brad Pitt still got it, though. Brad Pitt will always have it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's got that. He's got that Robert Redford shit going on uh, where you're just like, holy buckets. This guy is just oozing with just just talent and uh, with grace for the screen. He, he really is. It's a. Definitely a good good comparison to to Paul Newman for sure. True. David Niven's performance in Separate Tables has got to be something really special to defeat these four men. Uh, I got to see this movie. We got it. We got to do this next time. We're in the fifties. Separate Tables. I'm I'm gonna watch Separate Tables because it'll be a long time before we're back <laughs> in the fifties. Because uh, we got so many other decades to do. I'm, I'm going to have to watch that on my own time because it's just it. And, and I want to live. Those two are kind of, I kind of, I want to find a way to watch them. Yeah. Like soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Cause that, that's, that's kind of how I feel about both of them right now. Uh, yeah. Awesome group. Uh, Sydney Poitier. Love to see him there. Yeah. The first black man to be nominated for best actor right there and lost yeah. to maybe the whitest man in that group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's yeah, yeah. English English guy who was also known as a novelist. Yeah, <laughs> David J- Niven. That's great. James David Graham Niven. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. All right. Before we get to the two wins, uh, best picture, we have Anti Mame, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, The Defiant Ones, Separate Tables, and the winner, Gigi which I have no idea what that's about, but it's a, it, it destroyed at this Oscars. It's a, uh, it's a music. It's cool. Uh, just a like rom-com musical. Yeah. Not it's classic MGM, you know, fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Not just doesn't, it's not, it's not up our alley. Uh, it's, it's not something that we feel like inclined to watch just for fun. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not, not really one of those best picture winners like like you, and you and i are not we're not west side story guys you know this is like that is just we're not we're not really into that kind of filmmaking it's, that doesn't mean all musicals are bad it just means during that era a lot of them just feel so redundant and so similar and, and it's just I don't, have, I don't have two and a half hours for all of those you know i do have two and a half hours for in the heights which seems like it's going to be different and cool and provide provide some diversity. I'll watch that. Yeah, don't miss uh, the sneak preview this Monday. Um, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, we've got the two wins. We've got best cinemata- cinematography, black and white. Uh, we've got desire under the elms. I want to live. Separate tables. The young lions and the winner, the defiant ones. Uh, the Young Lions is a World War II film starring Marlon Brando, Montgomery Clift, and Dean Martin. <laughs> Holy shit. How have I not heard of this? God damn it. <laughs> That's great. 
I haven't heard of that either. That's uh, who's that? Edward, who's that? Dimitri? Have I seen that name before? That director? Edward Dimitri. <clears throat> I don't know that name. No, I, I don't think I know that one either. Yeah, that no, that definitely looks like a film I we would enjoy. Oh hell yeah! Um, and best original screenplay. We have <clears throat> the goddess houseboat, the sheep man, teacher's pet, and the winner, the defiant ones. Hmm. Uh, I've never, <laughs> I've not heard of those four films ever. Uh, I've heard of the goddess because of Patty. That guy's kind of a legend when it comes to the the old screenplay. These all seem kind of weak. I don't think that was a very strong screenplay here. It doesn't doesn't seem that way, right? But but yeah, I'll, <clears throat> I'll kind of. I've got so many of uh, Pali Chayefsky's films like in my brain. You know, ne- Network would be the one that I like like that I'm a fan of. And there's so many movies that I need to see, like Marty, 1955. That's not a movie I've seen yet, and uh, he wrote that one. Uh, I think he's got a weird statistic uh, to his name when it comes to the Oscars. I think he's the only. I think he's the only writer solo writer to win three uh screenplay awards i think um wow I'm, I'm almost i'm almost positive on that maybe i'm wrong but i think he is the only solo writer to win three screenplay marty the hospital and network shit i didn't know he did network that's that's awesome yeah your network yeah fucking amen we didn't we didn't give that movie enough credit when we were doing Rocky way back when we didn't know what the fuck we were doing really. Uh, <laughs> it, was hard, it was hard to divvy up. We didn't know how to divvy up time to different things. And now it's just a free flowing yeah, kind of conversation while just looking at these, but yeah, network is so goddamn good. And, and 1976, the more time, the more time passes Rocky taxi driver and, and network. Fuck. Those movies are awesome. It's kind of, we did the same thing with Filmgasm and Oscar Sunday. We kind of just started blind and figured our way through it. Uh, I feel like Sneak Preview was pretty, like, pretty well established. Like, we knew exactly what that was going to be. But oh, yeah. these other two have been a pretty exciting learning experience. A hundred percent, man. I, I love uh, kind of adapting, knowing, hey, this might make more sense. We'll <laughs> get to talk about things if we do this. And, and any anything for it to be, yeah entertaining and also just kind of like you said a learning process is, is kind of the goal uh man those those are the two wins and the the stream plays good but it's not like crazy good for the defiant ones it's not, not it's not it's not one of those screenplay winners that's like oh yeah that totally makes sense uh you know like when when um like i remember when tarantino won for uh django he was like this year is going to be remembered as the year for screenplay. And it's just not at all. 2012. No, like Silver Wings playbook and these different movies just haven't, they haven't. It's so funny in the moment you think this is, this is the one. (laughs) And then time passes and things just change, man. Movies change your, your perspective on it changes. I do think Tarantino totally deserved that win for Django, but he is in that phrase. Like, you know, this is going to be the year for screenplay. I feel like he's, cutting out because of me yeah 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 like i won and no one will ever forget this like that's that's basically what he's saying yeah hilarious (laughs) gotta love it uh 
Yeah, man. Well, you got anything else about these 1958 movies? Not really. Seems like kind of an underwhelming year, apart from maybe a couple gems we have to discover for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's pretty pretty clear that uh, that Separate Tables is the one, and I Want to Live. Those are movies we definitely have on our list here. I just read uh, Gigi, the Best Picture winner, was the last film until The Last Emperor to win Best Picture without any acting nominations. Par- Parasite also did that. Uh, 2019 no acting nominations i can't stand that i can't i i hate when that happens i know There's, if a movie if a movie is up is up for best picture or wins best picture you would think there's someone in it who you know like levels the movie up to a, to a totally different place but whatever <laughs> yeah it's odd i mean parasite alone deserves you know the full the whole enchilada i mean that film should have you know one in every category with multiple wins but here we are yeah, it did, you know, Bong Joon-ho did get to walk the stage, what, four times? So, we'll <laughs> With four okay. separate speeches. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Uh, it, it, well, that's a good segue to our awards. Uh, for, for the Defiant Ones, we got uh, the Tarantino. That's <laughs> funny. For best line or quote, uh, we have the, the Ennio Morricone for best music moment. Uh, we got the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance of the movie. And we got the Roger Deakins award to finish us off with the best scene or best moment of the movie. Um, I got, I got, I actually had fun. The one I picked for Tarantino, I really like, Uh, I'm really very curious to see where you went with this one. Um, I've got um, a bit of a snippet from uh, the first argument between uh, Cullen and Joker. And uh, it's, Pretty, uh, I mean, it's, it's a little on the nose, but this whole movie is a little bit on the nose. Uh, yeah. We're talking about the animals in, in the forest, and uh, Colin kind of implies that Joker is a bit of a weasel, and he says, you calling me a weasel? And Poitier responds, no, I'm calling you a white man. Like, it made sense in context of the argument, and I, I liked that. I was like, you probably could have figured out a little subtext there instead of just being like you're evil but i get it uh and i like the moment it was a good moment so i went with that yeah it's 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 good to see uh colin in the driver's seat right yeah. there's moments where he where he just kind of outwits him or outsmarts him and it, it does pay off a few times and that's i also went with something similar to that uh it's when it's at one point when they're kind of running uh and uh, Sidney Poitier, he's, he says, uh, you married me, all right, Joker. Now here's the ring. And he like holds up the chains. <laughs> and he says, but I ain't going south on no honeymoon now. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking crazy. Super 50s, super, super Poitier too. He just, he's, he looks like he's just having fun with this. And he's like, I'm just going to yell a little bit. So yeah, I, 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 I kind of was in a similar mindset to you. Yeah. I do want to throw out an honorable mention just because I didn't, this is one of the few films pre, you know, 1960 where they openly use the N word and actually talk about it. Like why? Like, like he asked, like that, you know, he says that word bothers me and he's like, why it's what you are. And he, like, they have that conversation. And I liked that conversation because it actually like brought it up, but then it didn't really go anywhere. Like I was expecting that to lead into like a wider revelation and it didn't. 
That's why it didn't make yeah. yeah. Like you said, it, this movie, what did you say? It's like uh, playing tag and you always have one hand on base. Yeah, that's that's exactly what, what it is in, in those moments. Yeah. It, <laughs> that's okay, though. Like, like, you kind of expect it, right? <laughs> These Oscar movies. Uh, you just, you have a little bit of hope there. Uh, Ennio Morricone, did you did you choose something from Ernest Gold's uh, score or something a little bit different? I'm assuming his score was like the bits of jazz playing with the cops, right? Because that was it. Um, yeah, I was I was like, what score, right? Yeah, there's like a bit of an intro, kind of, but not really, and then <clears throat> and then yeah, some kind of jazzy, light jazzy stuff happening. Quick fun fact: I read in the trivia that the kid with the radio was the original Alfalfa from the Little Rascals. Whoa, <laughs> kind of neat, crazy. Yeah, had no no idea. <laughs> um, I picked um, the moment at the end of the film when Cullen is singing "Long Gone" with Joker in his arms, as just kind of accepted defeat, and is like, "Fuck it, I'm going out singing." Like. I know that like he's probably going to die going back to prison. He escaped. He's a black man. He's probably not making it out of this. And he knows that. And Joker, looking in his eyes, knows that too. And they kind of just have this moment of like, this moment belongs to us. They can't take it away from us. And I, I appreciated yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I chose the exact same thing. Uh, Bowling Green? <laughs> but... Uh, it's it's really crazy acting. Uh, the all this all the singing he's doing, like sewing machine, and he's just kind of lost. Yeah. Uh, I, I I again I felt I felt something with the ending. How it's a little bit ambiguous, and you have Sydney kind of just taking the movie by the balls at the end. I thought that was a cool choice, and I thought, I wish more of the movie would have been kind of a little bit more against the grain and you know, like that. Yeah. Uh, but Sydney doing those things is totally for me what kind of saves the movie. Uh, there are a few times when he just just kind of embodies like what it means to go go inside of a character and, and become them. And he does it. He does it a few times. He does it a few times as Colin. And I think when he's singing is is you, you really like you said you feel uh, him kind of looking down the barrel like, well fuck. I'm 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 not gonna go down just kind of like crying or laying down or whatever. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of be me, <laughs> and and that 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 was that was pretty goddamn satisfying. Well, that's been his whole character the entire movie, like from the beginning when he's you know singing in the truck and everyone's telling him to shut up and he just won't because he's he's a man yeah. who's taking charge of his own life and he refuses to let anybody spit on him, and I I love that especially in, you know in yes. this environment to be chained to a white man and still be like, you know, taking charge of the situation. He's, it's a very complex and interesting character. And uh, I wish that they'd explored a bit more into like who he is, why he's here, what he, you know, wants out of this. I mean, we do have that conversation where he talks about, you know, attacking the man who was on his property, but I wanted more. I really wanted more. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I think Colin is a really cool character. And and they're, from the very beginning, like you said, when he's singing in the truck and the truck fucking get, has an accident or whatever, and that's how they're able to escape. 
I was really, I was really intrigued. I was like, here we go. This is going to be fucking good, you know? And it, it, it just didn't, didn't continuously deliver. It just was here and there. And yeah. Uh, but, but I think it's, well, I don't know, actually. For me, the PSH was easy. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know about you. I don't know if you think uh, Tony Curtis is doing enough there to beat Sydney, but I, I, for me, it's got to be Poitier. Yeah, it's Poitier. It's, um, he's, he's really giving it his all here. Tony Curtis is good, but he can't upstage Sydney Poitier. He just can't. He can't do it. No one can. No. Uh, as far as like the supporting you know, performances go, Lon Chaney Jr. has a great moment. It's, just cool. it's always cool to see him outside the Wolfman. Yeah. Uh, mm. But again, another character who really wasn't explored. You know, we get the idea that he was also on a chain gang, but that doesn't seem like enough motivation to risk his life stopping a lynching. You know, like there should have been more exploration there. But yeah, no one really, no one does better than Sydney here. No, not at all. From from the way he the way he's speaking to the way he kind of at times is just just making you believe everything he's doing with, with the chains, with, you know, being with Tony Curtis and them to kind of the physical aspect of this movie. Yeah. They're both, they're both, they're both kind of giving it their all. Uh, I, I really admire what Sydney's doing both physically and, you know, with, with just his words, the way he's talking. Uh, Tony Curtis though, man, good, good, solid performance. And like you said earlier, I didn't think neither of us thought he had that in him. So uh, we said that kind of at the top of the show, and uh, that's that's something that always uh, I'm always going to carry with me when I watch the guy. Oh, this is the only Oscar nomination. Why? Oh, that was actually pretty good. I kind of I kind of dig that. You know, that's always that's always good. That's always satisfying. Yeah, he's Charlie Potatoes. He's right. You know, he's on top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that always made me laugh. He kept bringing that up. Like I looked it up. It's yeah. like an old it's an old timey term for like, you know. Cock of the walk, the guy who's, you know, got it all made. Charlie Potato. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Love it. Oh boy. Okay. Oh man. Well, well, we we kind of we're in a similar place here with most of these. We we both chose that that moment where he's singing from the Enyo. We both chose Poitier. So what's your deacons? I for the longest time I had it as the scene where they climbed out of the pit. Because uh, that was so, it was their first moment where they really needed each other. And you, I believe that, like the pull, like it, it felt just, you felt like they were ripping their arms off. Like you really felt that. But then later on, I, I got another scene and I actually picked a Tony Curtis scene uh, for my, mm. my Deacons. It's uh, Joker and the woman are about to embark on a Mexico journey or whatever. And she reveals that she gave, Cullen the wrong directions to the swamp so he'll die and not talk and Joker's like why the hell would you do that why would you do that like he has a moment of like he's gonna die like he really he, he really reveals that he cares about Cullen and he doesn't want to see this happen he gives up his, his means of escape he was gonna go but he's like I can't let him die and even she's yeah. like why he's you know he's just it's just him and like we can be somebody and I love Joker's like, you don't even know who I am. Like you don't know me at all. Like he really points out how absurd this all is. And 
then he goes and, and saves or tries to save Colin and gets shot in the process. Like I, I liked his moment of like, I'm, I can't let this happen. Like his first really like strike of conscience of like, he saved my life. I can't let him die. I can't do this. It was, it was a good, it was a good kind of final act of redemption on his part. God damn. I, I wrote down pretty, pretty much the same thing. I wrote down, I, what I put down for my deacons was Colin, Colin, when he's, when he's screaming out, trying to find him. Uh, and that goes along with what, what happens right before. And my favorite shot of the whole movie is when he sees him and Colin is just sitting there smoking a cigarette. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, dude, like, why, like, why are you following me, man? <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, she lied to you, dude. Like, it's such a fucking, it felt like I was watching for a minute, Andy Dufresne and red from Shawshank, you know, it felt like so familiar cinematically. Yeah. It felt so goddamn familiar. And I, 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 I like that. I like those layers in filmmaking where you can see a kind of a sort of trope. That's not, not something that's copied over and over, but it's just, it's just slightly, you know, slightly changed depending on the filmmaker. And I loved this version of it. I thought it was worth it getting there when like her reaction is so crazy. Just like, no, like, and, and it's, it's like, it's like you said, she just has this assumption that everyone, everyone would want this, this black guy to just fucking get out of here. And who cares if he dies? Yeah. But that's, that is her thought. That's just her general thought. Well, and like, that's, that's, that's fucking nuts. That's fucking nuts. And it's cool to see Joker finally be like, holy yeah. shit. Like, holy shit. I thought that way. I'm going to stop now. And, well, and that, that's, that's not really cheap. You know, there's movies in this mo uh, moments in this movie that are cheap. That's not. That felt that felt worthy of that scene and worthy of him going and finding him and Colin being like, what's up, dude? Like, what, what's going on? Well, it's kind of set up from the moment we meet this woman where she, you know, they demand mm. food and she just gives Tony Curtis food. And he's like, what about his? And she's like, yeah. like, glares at him like, what? Why would why would I do that? Like, it's just assumed like no black man's going to eat in this house ever. Like, that's just like an automatic Ever, like known rule and it's so fucked up but even in that moment tony curtis is like no get him some food right now like yeah it's building up towards a revelation that he really does care and it's well done i think it's weird that billy just straight up shoots him out of the blue <laughs> that was that was a little odd but you know i did appreciate that this film doesn't have a literal we're not so different, you and I moment. It's, it's really kind of built up gradually. It's not just like, you know, you're black and I'm white, but somehow it all works out. Like they don't have that moment that all of these movies seem to have. It's yeah. just kind of assumed, yeah. like it's, it's built up in a natural way. And I, I did appreciate that. Yeah, it's definitely a part of the story that does kind of work. Uh, I, I, think, I think my main frustration is because I, I do not mind a movie that's based around two guys. It's just kind of like a hangout movie. I don't mind that one bit. I actually love that. You know, The Lighthouse is one of my very favorite movies from the past decade. It can be done. You know, it can be done. It's, it's been done many, many times. I think my problem is bringing up, bringing up new characters or giving them screen time without really having a vision for them or having a vision for why they affect our two main characters. Yeah. Uh, 
and that's something I'll have to grapple with. Maybe, maybe a rewatch will help uh, give me a little bit of clarity, but yeah, it, it's a solid seven for me. I think the performances are good. I think Sydney is out of, out of this world, but overall the vision is just kind of lacking on what it, what it really wants to say and kind of committing to that. Uh, Cause again, we've clearly, we clearly like some moments from the film and very much appreciate those two main performances. I agree. It's a seven for me. It wasn't eight, but the more I talked about it, it's a seven. Uh, I think this film's biggest issue for me is the cops. I think that whole totally bit of the movie is so underused and under and just weak. I mean, we have a cop who's basically just like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get him. Like, just no rush, no sense of urgency. Just like, eh, don't, we don't need the dogs. We'll figure this out. Like, yeah. what? We need, like, Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive here. Like, I want a, I want a like, hell-bent you know, I'm going to get them or die trying cop. I mean, imagine like this movie would be so much cooler if you actually have like a real threat after them. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you really, you want them to be, you want it to be a chase movie, you know, you yeah. want them on, on the run, really on the run. And it's not totally what we got. There are moments, but yeah, again, just not all, all the way put together, but I have a feeling, I have a feeling next week's film will, will be put together quite nicely. Well, uh, what I hear, it's considered one of the greatest films of the 20th century, so we will, we will find out. We will find out. Uh, we have covered, now we've done, let's see if I can remember. Uh, we did Russian Mon from 1950. We did The African Queen, 1951. We did High Noon, 1952. We've done Rear Window and On the Waterfront for 1954. Uh, 19... 55 uh maybe we haven't done that one but we did la strada that's 1956 i think uh the ten commandments is 1956 we did 12 angry men 1957 we did today defiant ones 1958 we did the anatomy of a murder 1959 we've done a lot of 50s movies but 1953 is uh is a year that we have yet to get to i believe yeah, this is uncharted so, territory. So, uh, if you know, you know. Uh, from here to fucking eternity, one that year, like Connor said, it is a critically acclaimed film. Uh, is how you could how you could say. I have not ever seen it. I I still haven't seen it. I've been we've both been doing our work watching the other four movies <clears throat> from that year, but from here to eternity is the last one I really have to cross off my list uh, for next week's episode, and I am. I am so, so excited because it's a movie that, of course, a best picture winner. But not only that, I've heard that it is still so, so good. You know, there's movies like Gigi that don't really have a cultural, like, thing about them now, 70 years later. Yeah. From Here to Eternity is still a movie that people say, oh, fucking A, this is a masterpiece. And I, I, I can't wait for, for next week's Best Picture Showdown, 1953. Oh, yeah. And because it is a Best Picture Showdown, we will be ranking and discussing the other four films it was up against, which are Julius Caesar, The Robe, Roman Holiday, and Shane. So, yeah, sure to be a very interesting discussion next week. I fucking love the Best Picture Showdowns. Uh, oh, dude, ranking them is so much fun. Giving them, yeah, a, a proper one through five is, is, a, is a blast. That's when you really get to put stuff into context uh, and have an opinion on the show. So ne next week will be much different than this one. Uh, we're going to have a lot more to say about the, the, the show, the ceremony, 
but uh but i i had fun here on episode 54 man defiant ones it's a movie that I, i'm definitely glad i've seen you know and, and i do i do recommend it to people i just personally don't think you know i mean rear window is a 10 you know uh flat it was it's hard to kind of follow that up but the african queen i, I believe i also gave that a seven uh it, it's it's been it's been for the 50s it's been for me anatomy of murder uh absolute classic and then african queen not bad but not great and then an absolute classic in rear window and then today defiant ones not bad but not great either <laughs> and next week i'm hoping we get i'm hoping we get my favorite one of the group <laughs> next week i can't wait i'm not at all worried i'm you know we got burt lancaster we got frank sinatra we got deborah care this is going to be fun i'm i'm very much looking forward to from here to eternity it's a film i've always wanted to watch and now yeah. i finally have a reason to so this is going to be just fantastic episode 55 yeah uh, episode <laughs> five, man. it's gonna it's gonna be epic uh this is also a movie that you bought and then you bought a, a copy for me so we both own it we're we're, we're fucking ready bring up our, our our one of our favorite directors fred zinnemann <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta love it gotta love it I, I i can't wait i mean this is this is kind of what we live for in this show is being able to knock off movies like this and give them awards and talk about them talk about what we like and don't like about it this is this is what we live for here on oscar sunday oh fuck yeah uh, don't miss in the heights on monday's sneak preview this week and on wednesday's filmgasm uh caleb and i will be digging into david cronenberg's videodrome so be sure mm. to get that one uh gonna be really weird Dude. Always fun to do Cronenberg. Awesome. <laughs> he's, uh, he's the man. Yeah. Uh, Oscar, Sunday, Oscar Sunday, not the easiest show to bring up a guy like David Cronenberg, but he is, he is totally one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, uh, especially when it comes to like genre films. He's, he's the man, dude. I, I have yet to be disappointed by anything he's done. <laughs> well, I mean... If we're talking Oscar nominated, we've got History of Violence, we've got Eastern Promises, we've got The Fly, so it could happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm cool with The Fly. The, 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 I like the later stuff, but man, it's all about that, that, you know, the brood, you know, it's about those movies are the ones that, yeah, and The Fly is great. I would love to do that on here, but it's also so good for filmgasm, so <laughs> it's tough. He's, it is weird, somewhere around like the late 80s, he just kind of shifted gears and started doing a little bit more dramatic stuff. I'd like them to kind of go right back to freakish body horror and give us something really memorable again. That would be sweet. Uh, oh, his, I think his son, uh, his son is going to start doing that now after Possessor. It's going to be, he's going to take that mantle. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Yeah, can't wait to talk about that on Wednesday. Uh, hope you enjoyed the Defiant Ones. Uh, go see it. Uh, it's hard to actually get streaming. You can rent it on Vudu or Amazon Prime, if that's if you got that. Uh, other than that, good luck. It's a pretty tough film to find. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think Prime is, yeah, it's like $2.99. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be worth your time. <laughs> totally. Premiered Eternity next week. This is a blast. And then a whole new decade for five more episodes of Oscar Sunday. Can't wait. Uh, Beautiful. Have a good one and keep watching movies, everyone. Thank you.